Hello, and welcome to Dream Chasers Podcast. I got a very special guest on today, uh, seven-time All-Star, Indiana Pacers basketball player, Boston ex-basketball player, ex-NBA star, Jermaine O'Neal. How you doing today, man? Doing pretty good, my brother. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, Jermaine O'Neal, just a little little background about me and Jermaine O'Neal. I met him when I was probably 16 or 17 years old. I, I look at this at this uh, this man, family man, God-fearing man, as a brother. Uh, I don't I don't just look at him as as just a regular guy. I talk to him pretty frequently, uh, family man, and like I said, definitely a, a a great example. So, let's get into it, Jo. Tell me a little bit about your your journey uh, in sports. Tell me. How did you how did you get to basketball? How did you what, tell me a little bit about your journey growing up? Where you're from? Give me a little bit on that. Man, you know, to be honest, man, I don't know if we have enough time to even talk about all of it, but I'm giving it to you an expedited version. Um, give me the small you know, version. You know, I, I actually really didn't even learn how to play basketball until I got to high school. You know, I was okay. playing football, um, wow. you know, really pop Warner and. I was really interested in that and then uh got to high school and went from like six two, right. uh six ish to six eleven in three months by the time you know I was going into my sophomore year. So I was really forced to get into into basketball. But yeah, you know, I started played uh J V a little bit my freshman year and then ended up, you know, going to varsity. Right. Uh it took a lot uh of discipline and a lot of dedication to my craft. Okay. To get better, all down to having to take a dance class with the assistant coach wow. uh, because footwork wasn't wasn't appropriate. But um, you know, things from there. I'm from, you know, obviously been from Columbia, South Carolina, going right. to Eau Claire High School. Right. Uh, things changed it literally seems like overnight because I went from not knowing how to play my freshman right. year uh, right. to being you know uh, one of the best players in the country. Right. Uh, you know, in less than three years, and then in less than four years. Um, been in the NBA, so it was right. a crazy. It was a crazy, uh, you know, turn of events. But you know, I, I really locked in and focused in on my craft. Right. Uh, once I realized that I had a future in it, a possible future in it, then you know, my dreams um, uh, became reality um, very quickly. And then, obviously, being drafted out of the, um, out of high school to the NBA in right. 1996. Um, that was quite the transition within itself from going from being, you know, on, on, on almost every night being the best player on the court to being the fifth best person at your position. Right. You know, um, that was that was a tough pill to swallow, uh, but I ended up learning a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was able to achieve uh, a lot. And I'm a three-time USA uh, team member, wow. uh, All-NBA uh, yeah. three times. Um, I've set records in, in Indiana. I had a great run right. uh, there. Um, Portland was really in- instrumental in my development as a as a as a teenager. Right. Uh, so it really was really the tale of of a lot of different things to be honest. And uh, through the process, Harvey, a lot of people had a lot of hands in on my development. Whether it was my my brother who sacrificed a lot to make right. sure I got back and forth to you know to school safely and soundly to get back and forth to practice. Right. To my mother, uh, you know, sacrificing the financial uh, side of things to make sure I was I was I was able to play. To right. my high school coach, being a mentor, most importantly, being a dad to me, uh, considering I didn't meet my dad till I was 30. Right. Um, you know, then all my teammates uh, from high school to the pros uh, to really every team that I played for right. to get me to a point now where I feel like, um, 
you know, that process taught me a lot and put me in a great position that I'm in now as a businessman, as a dad, wow. uh, as a husband, as a friend, as a family member, all of the above. Wow. Wow, man. So you, you didn't start basketball till high school. I mean, they got kids that have been playing basketball. I mean, nowadays, kids are playing basketball second, third grade, but you started at high school. That is crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. To, to see the journey that and all the stuff that you've been through and all your accomplishments and to say you started yeah. in high school, I mean, kids, you got a shot for sure. Yeah. So who – go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, you know, just in closing on that on that particular thing, I, you know, I would also, too, say, you know, it's a lot of, you know, success in many cases comes from failure. Right. And, you know, and a lot of that, you know, a lot of failure, you know, early and – and um mixed with success really makes you who you are. And so I think that's always important for people and athletes to understand is that you're still winning when you don't win, right? right. You're understanding what that process is, understanding um, there are things that you need to do and get better at. And so um, I've been very fortunate on both sides of the spectrum to learn and then get better uh, as, a, as a man. Right, for sure, for sure. Touch a little bit more on who, who influenced you. I mean, I know who influenced you, but tell tell the, the the listeners that's on there who really influenced you, and and how do you you know how tell me what that looks like, you know? Man, you know what? To be honest, oh, man, it's been a lot of influencers, man. Um, you know, obviously, I talked about my brother, right. my high school coach, you know, picking you know picking me up, and mm-hmm. others uh, every weekend to go to um, a place called Cracker Barrel in in, in South Carolina. Right. Um, you know, teaching us about, you know, the ethic of life. Um, I mean, guys like Xavier McDaniel, uh, mm-hmm. who really showed me as an inner city kid. Uh, and for you guys that don't know who Xavier McDaniel is, he's the X-Man, played for Seattle Supersonics, played for the New York Knicks, but he's from right. where I'm from. I remember. You know, take, yeah, taking a kid out of, you know, inner city gym with 23 other kids and taking us to his house. Uh, right. That was really the most iconic moment for me uh, especially as 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 African American male in a city male that didn't have the male leadership at a young age, I think at the time I was like eleven, twelve years old, right. and you know he you know, took us to his house, and at the time I never even knew that that type of living was even in my own city. Right. right. I, 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 at that point, I only seen it on TV, right. and to see a guy that um, was from where I was from, living in these big gated, these big gated. Uh, neighborhood and at the time I thought it was the biggest house in the world you know <laughs> right. literally not even lying it was on the lake and I'm and I'm just baffled right. and, and and Harvard I remember asking this question to him that really resonates to me this very day right. and I said to, I said I said uh excuse me mister where where are you from where where were you born right and you know originally when I said where are you from you know he said I'm right here from you know where you live at right um, in Columbia, South Carolina, from here, and then I said, I thought he misunderstood me. I said, No, no, where were you? Where, where's, where were you born at? Right. And right. he said, I'm born here in Columbia, South Carolina. He said, Son, it doesn't matter what color your skin is, what you wear, what type of house you know you live in, what type of car you ride in, right. how much money you have or don't have, you can be whatever you want to be. Right. And that was the most impactful point of my life because then I saw a man that actually, you know, looked like me in many ways. Um, gave me an opportunity to to dream right you know and and in a in a male less environment that I lived in my mother was phenomenal right but you know I didn't have I didn't have a male figure dealing with a male so that was probably one of the most uh iconic moments and you know that was a leader that you know 
that took me along. We started a team and I played on it. And then wow. you had guys like Tyrone Corbin, who's also another NBA, ex-NBA player, mm-hmm. and then Alex English, you know, the great Alex English, all from where I'm from, right. um, yeah. you know, had hands in on my development as well. So uh, to be honest, man, I, it, it's not one particular person. Okay. Uh, it's a group of people that helped raise a young man that needed sure. male leadership. Yeah. For sure, for sure. All right, man. What what role did your did your parents play in uh in you becoming who you are basketball wise? You see a lot of parents nowadays, I mean, they're dragging their kids left, dragging them right, they're playing here. I mean, they're pulling them up by, by their bootstraps. Tell me a little bit about what what role did your parents play in your development as a basketball player and as a man? Well, I'm, well, I'm going to tell you again, um, my mom was like, she's my mother and father. My brother became more of a father figure to me. Right. Uh, I Literally, I did not meet my dad until I was 30. Um, wow. So that was, uh, that, was, that was a hard pill uh, for me to, to really swallow. Right. Uh, but, you know, my mother, you know, my mother didn't know a lot about it. You know, I wasn't really playing a lot of AAU travel ball. Uh, but one thing that, you know, that she said to me that always resonated to me, she said, look, son, if you waste one dollar of my money, I'm whooping you. <laughs> and so it always resonated to me um, right. that you know, like I can't, I can't mess up an opportunity. I can't undervalue what the opportunity is. Um, you know, that is something that I never forget. You know, because I, I, I didn't resonate that to my kids. Like, don't right. waste my time and money. Right. And so, you know, that mentality of of maximizing every opportunity really came from my mom, to be honest. Right, right. Well, I know your mom, and I know it's not a game, so we're going to move on to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> when, was, when was the moment that you knew you was league-bound, when, when it hit you, that you knew you was, you was going to the NBA? You knew you was that, that big deal, that next big thing? Man, I don't – you know, we always think that we're good. You know, we get to a certain level. And I just remember sitting on the couch watching the 95 draft. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Garnett, uh, who had left his senior year to go to Maldives, I, I mean, go to Chicago, right. uh, Farragut, um, he's actually from Malden, South Carolina. Right. So, right. You know, you know um, I remember, you know, always seeing him and, you know, playing, you know, playing out in Carolina. And I was like, man, I'm going to do this next year. Right. And not even really knowing that I'm going to do it. But I knew I was one of the top players in the country at the time as a junior, one of the top two players in the country. And I was like, OK, well. This is a real possibility, but I didn't really know. But right. it got real my senior year when I started seeing the New York Knicks, um, you know, the Orlando Magic, the Portland Trailblazers. I mean, just Charlotte Hornets at my games. Wow. And that is surreal for a 17-year-old kid. For sure. Teenager, right. And so that was really the moment that I really thought that this is really a chance. But, you know, you got to remember, too, Harvey, is that back then – you didn't have the chance to go back to school once right. you put your name in the draft because they had because the high school to the pros had just started the year before right. didn't have all of the benefit rules that they have in, that, they, that they had when kids were allowed to, to come from high school to the pros. So once right. you made yourself eligible for the draft, you forfeited your college eligibility. So that means if you didn't get drafted, right. your your career was over. over. Yeah, it was over. So you know it was nerve wracking, and you know it's just a lot of things that went into it, brother and. Um, I was truly blessed um, from God to to be have guys like a guy named Sonny Vaccaro who helped me throughout the process right. uh, with getting getting a you know an agent who also became a father figure for me 
Uh, and Oren Tellum, who's okay. one of the most iconic agents in the, that's ever been in the business. Um, you know, so I, I was really blessed to have some great people around me. And uh, once I got the education tool, my mother got the education tool, that was great. And then really the solidifier was when uh, Rick Patino was with Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came into my house. I was, that was probably a school that I was probably going to go to. Yeah. It was a tight race between them and South Carolina. But he told me, he said, look, hey, you know, we're going to be good without, we're going to be good with you. We're good without you. You know, yeah. and I love to have you, but you know, everything that we're hearing, you're projected to go anywhere between 10th and 17th, no later than 17th. Right. And he said, you probably should go pro. And that was kind of the moment for me. Right. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. I, I, this next question is kind of funny because I remember, like I said, when I, when I met you, I was, what, 16 or 17 years old. And I think you had probably been with, with Portland for maybe about three or four years or whatever mm-hmm. it was. But you had came to Indiana and got that big contract. And I remember the first time I met you, I don't know if you remember this or not, but you came – I think you were coming into the gym and I heard Jermaine O'Neal. I kind of knew who you was, but I, I didn't know you. You know what I mean? And you come in uh, driving, I think he was either driving like a Rolls Royce or something and all his jewelry on it. I'm like, man, who is this guy? <laughs> I'm like, well, he's, when you was walking in, I mean, your swag, you, you know, like, man, you just look like you was floating on by. And I was like, oh, my gosh, man. But anyway, um, explain, explain how your life was in the NBA. Explain that to me which I already know, but explain it to me. Well, you know, I think you don't know who you are until you mature. And okay. it's interesting that, you know, even at 40 years old right now, mm-hmm. I'm still maturing, right? I'm still learning the process of everything. But right. the, the ups and downs of being a pro, the decisions that you make that are, are good and decisions that you make bad, it's really like a mixed bowl of um, a soup, right? A lot of different ingredients uh, really dig, dig dictates the outcome of who you really are and you know it, it, the, the scenario going into as a 17 year old you don't know what to expect bro I went four years of college right. uh in, in in the pros with the, with the uh, Portland Trailblazers which they did a phenomenal job right that was probably the best place for me to go because they were prepared for a 17 year old teenager uh, out of high school right. from South Carolina deep south right mm-hmm. had everything in place from you know psychiatrist to the team leadership to everything and then get an opportunity to come to a very special place in my heart which is Indianapolis Indiana right. um, that was you know it was kind of a prove me you prove it to me that you're worth us trading Dale Davis right coming off a finals appearance mm-hmm. and that made me create a different mindset and still as trying to learn, you know, what being a pro really is, right? Mm-hmm. I knew I had talent. Uh, I knew, you know, a little bit about the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but now all of a sudden I'm, I'm thrown to have to become a leader as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I look at the transitional pieces from, you know, Indiana to Toronto to Miami to Boston to uh, Phoenix and then finally to Golden State, man. I mean, it was really a process and really a change, uh, you know, from the time that you first saw me, you know, with, you know, with the jury and the big cars and, you right. know, uh, want, want, wanting to be seen right. uh, to being angry because I wasn't seen right. and, uh, you know, in Portland to saying, you know, I got the Indiana saying, look, look where I'm here. I told right. you, you right. know, going to a scenario in, in Toronto and Miami where Toronto, Miami and Boston 
And really, I'd probably say it was more of a situation where I was like, look, I need to, I need to finish this thing on my feet because then towards the end of my career, you know, I had a tough surgery that didn't turn out as well. And a lot of people don't know, know that I didn't speak a lot about it, um, but it didn't turn out as well. Um, so I suffered a little bit from the injury side, right? I dealt with the knee injury. And so that mentality changed, uh, my approach to the game, my approach, um, to life, um, was different to be honest. Um, you know, you, you know, it's a, it's a transition brother when you can't do the things that you're normally used to doing for a long period of time. Right. So I had to look at things, a few things differently. I had to become more of a businessman. Right. I had to be, uh, become more, uh, value things a little bit more than I used to. Okay. Um, you know, and then, you know, coming to a conclusion that, you know, Hey, I'm ready to leave and go off to the next chapter, which is, you know, Indiana, I mean, uh, uh, Golden State, um, and still not coming back to two years that they wanted, and they asked me to come back, you right. know. And so it's a lot of things. Answer your questions. It's it's a lot of mindsets and a lot of things that go into a mindset, staying consistent and also changing. And you know, for me, to be honest, all of the stuff that I went through, good, bad, or ugly, mm-hmm. uh, has made me the exact person I am today, uh, which I feel like I'm in a great position. Yeah, definitely a big deal. Definitely a big deal. Two questions uh, with this next one. Uh, what was life like immediately after the NBA? How did you adapt? And then what are you doing now? Man, the first six months was rough. I'm not even <laughs> going to lie. Um, when, when you spend half of your, the majority of your adult life, right. like remember I came in at 17 and I retired at 35 and I played 18 years. Wow. So, I, so you see what I'm saying? So my adult life, I was an NBA professional player where everybody around the world knew who I was. Right. And then you go and you take that day-to-day, you know, crazy schedule, traveling, practices, games, whatever it may be, and they're still trying to figure out your personal life with your family, kids, business, whatever it may be, to going from some days being busy from the business and then some days having absolutely nothing to do. Right. You know, and – it's tough because you're taught to be an athlete. Right. Right. That's who you're taught and built to be. Right. And your mindset is just that. And, and typically a lot, a lot of athletes can't adjust to that life because they only know how to be an athlete. So for me, it was a great transition because when I originally got hurt in Indiana, I started really looking at just kind of where the financials were right. heavy and the businesses that I needed to get into. And, and then, you know, really put me in a position to be into tech businesses now. I was one of the first, you know, players to actually be able to invest mm-hmm. into a deal with the owner. I did that in Golden State and oh, the wow. NBA okayed it because my history of investing right. uh, was there. It wasn't like it was kind of, you know, a, a something illegally that we're doing under the table. Um, and then now, you know, with this with the you know youth space being into building sports complexes with club teams, uh-huh. um, something I'm very, very passionate about. Um, you know, is exciting to me, man. Is you know, I, I take the same DNA of an athlete, you know, mm-hmm. and and translate it to the business world. Hey, man, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Uh, what's the difference? What differences do you see in sports compared to when you played? Like I said, I remember when you guys played. I mean, it was that was the last real era of uh of, of tough basketball that I can remember. But what's the differences you see now? Um, the first thing that I was, I would say is social media, 
Right. Um, I think I think athletes play for likes. Okay. You know, and 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 you know, it's it's different. Everybody's friendly. Um, you know, I, I love the idea of people owning their brands and and building their personal brands. I think that is probably the highest I've ever seen it. Right. Uh, but on the flip side of it, you know, uh, it is very friendly uh, in basketball, at least. Yeah. Um, and you know, people just they don't compete at the same level, and I right. think that's why you see such lopsided you know, uh, scores or, you know, records. You know, I'm just talking to my wife last night. I said, how does somebody lose 18 straight games? Yeah, it's unbelievable. I, yeah, so I think the Phoenix Suns had lost 17, 18 straight games. I'm like, and, and then the Knicks had lost 18 straight home games. God. Like, how does that happen? You know, yeah, as a professional paid athlete where, you know, you say, I will, I will bite somebody's face off <laughs> before, I, before I lose 17. Hell, I'm not going to lose seven straight games. Right. You know what I mean? And I just think that people are okay with losing um, because it's just, it's a lifestyle. It's more about a lifestyle versus more about winning, which creates a lifestyle. Gotcha. Gotcha, man. Yeah, it's it's definitely, it's a different breed. It's definitely a different breed. What advice would you give to an upcoming athlete that shows promise? Maybe somebody that's in college right now, going to travel the path that you're going. What, What advice would you give them? Well, I think it's a couple of areas that, that you have to be super sharp. And uh, one is your commitment, right? You know, it's a lot of people are in love with the idea of being good, but not the work that it takes to be good. Right. So being committed to your craft, being committed to your mentality, being committed to, you know, your practices and the details of everything. Right. Uh, sacrifice is another one. Being able to sacrifice, you know, the homies and you know, hanging right. out, you know, with the, you know, with the girls or, or the guys or whatever, if you're a female athlete, um, you know, video games or whatever your personal agenda is, being able to sacrifice that time to feed your game if right. you're trying to play at the highest of levels. Right. Um, those are the two, and, and really, and, and, and most importantly, really your mindset. Right. Because, you know, right now in the area, and I deal a lot with youth, we have 823 kids in, in Drive Nation, which is the uh, sports brand and sports complex that I built here in Dallas, Texas, right. uh, where I'm living, you know, nowadays. Um, right. You know, it's it's this thing called concessions that is being taught and being delivered to kids from parents and also from uh, people that are running these teams. And I would always tell an athlete who, who has who, who has a you know a talent uh, mm-hmm. that has a chance to get into the you know get into the ultimate level, even get into you know college, mm-hmm. is making sure that you understand that this world is about production. Period. Right. You know, nobody's asking how you feel. You know, if you got an attitude or you got a stomach, if the stomach is hurting or a headache, they just want to know, are you being productive? And if you're being productive, then that's how you win. And the mentality is the one that we're starting to see change a lot. People think that people care about their feelings, and that's just not the thing anymore. Either just go perform or move aside because somebody else is going to do your job. Got you, got you. I'm going to go last two questions about your kids. So are your kids, which I know the question is, are your kids in sports? What methods do you use to help them succeed? Yeah, so, you know, we talked a little bit. So, yes, I have a, I have a daughter uh, who's at the University of Texas right now. Um, she was la- last year um, in 18, she was the number one player in the country in volleyball. Um, and I have a 12-year-old son who's in the sixth grade. Um, you know, it, it's, it's such a hard scenario because I grew up for I grew up in a tough environment, uh, inner city kid, and you know I'm raising my kids in, you know, in a big house, 
You right. know, nice cars. You know, they don't worry about anything. They got the iPads, the clothes, or whatever. My daughter has a Range Rover. And wow. the idea of sacrifice, they don't understand that. Right. Right. And so it's hard. So my verbal, my verbal commitment to them, you know, is, hey, I am whooping you if you waste a dollar of my time. So I resonate back to what my mother said to me. For sure. Right. Look, you know, we're not going to waste money on watching you under underperform. Right. right. Either you're going to commit to it or you're not. And in many cases, I tell my kids, look, I don't don't make me feel bad for or your mother feel bad for providing for you. Right. Right. Just go show us, pay us back by going out and owning your craft, working extremely hard, competing at a high level. Uh, and whatever that is at the end of the day, that's what it is. But you've given your all. So right. that's 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 the, the thing that we do. I, I deal with the most. And we. You know, we we my daughter set a, a great template. Mm-hmm. She worked incredibly hard. Now my my younger son, little Jermaine Junior. Right. You know, I literally that you know, I literally have to stay on him because he's a kid that loves video games. Right. Loves you know all the stuff that he's. The new age, all the kids love it. Right. All these kids love the you know they they are in, they are very blessed, but they don't understand the hard work that it took for them to get that stuff, and that's what you know, we're really struggling with now to have these kids understand, like, it is a different sector of life right. that's out there that ain't don't have anything and would bite your face off to get that job that you're trying to get right. you know, in, in the athletic world. So, um, yeah, those I, I just try to keep with the same hard-nosed technique. You know, right. I love my kids. Um, I give them care. I hug them. I kiss them. But also, I'm very, very stern with them about the things that they say they want. You know, go, now go show me. Right, right. So, uh, Jermaine, I'm a I'm a parent, and I haven't been through this process. Uh, my my kid is probably one of the top kids in the nation. May may be able to follow the footsteps uh, that you laid down. What would you tell a parent like me, since you've been through it already? Man, there's no concession to to success. You know, do not teach your kids anything that you're not allowed to do on a day to day basis in the workplace. And I go back to saying, you know, what I said a second ago is like, when we go into our jobs or our partnerships or whatever it is, our bosses, our partners don't care about what's really going on in our life, right? They don't care if you got some situations with your kids or you got a situation with your husband or a wife or you're not feeling well or whatever it may be, right? They don't care. It's a production world, Right. right? Don't have a blind eye to what your kid isn't doing. And don't make it up and to a point where you think your kid is doing something because it's your kid when they're really not, right? The no concession scenario is probably at its highest of levels um, that it, it needs, really from my perspective, but I think parents should also have that. Teach your kids what you are uh, held responsible for on a day-to-day basis. Right. Uh, and, and then you, I think you'll, get, you'll, you'll find out what you have very quickly. Right, right, right. Your 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 Drive Nation team. I know you're seeing a lot of different things with parents within sports. Just just kind of give me just a little something on what what is what are they thinking? What is reality versus what they're thinking? Or what are you seeing on a day to day basis now? Seeing it at the amateur level. Well, I mean, I, I think you know, parents want to parent everything. Right. right, and what they don't realize, and I always say this: I say we got parents holding kids up, and their legs, I mean, their feet and ankles are dragging on the ground to the white right. knees. Right, you, you right. can't. You have to put your kid out there and let your kid earn it. As long as nobody's touching your kid, 
right. you know, talking to them, making them feel less than than adult. I mean, than the uh, human that they are. Right. Let let them go through it. You right. know, let them go right. compete for it. And I just see too many parents trying to manipulate a process. I see right. too many parents trying to. It's no substitution for success. Right. There's no substitution. If if it was that, then everybody would have it. Right. right. If it was a detour, if it was it was a shortcut, it's just no such thing. Right. Yeah. And so that's the thing that is probably the toughest scenario for me to watch. Um, you know, when I see parents and it's not all the parents, but it's a it's a lot of parents out there, uh, whether it's in Drive Nation or any other uh youth brand, um, that they wanna, you know, they wanna get pissed off and take their ball and go home right. when the kid isn't doing well. Right. Well, figure out why your kid ain't doing well. Right, they out there, you know, if they're out there playing and they're not productive, then tell your kid on the way home, look, I'm going to take you off the team if you don't show me more. I'm not right. going to waste my money. It ain't the coach's fault. It ain't the other teammate's fault. It's your fault. Go be productive. Final thought. Final thought. If you could go back to yourself as a rookie and give yourself one piece of advice that may, that may change the course of your career or that – something towards the end that you could have told yourself to be looking out for? What would be, what would be that one piece of advice you would have given to yourself? I, pro- I probably would have, well, you know, I'm sure every athlete can say this. Um, you know, can always pick something that they can be better at. Um, you know, one is, you know, really taking care of my body. You know, okay. I played 18 years, uh, but if I would have iced and did all other stuff that, you know, you should be doing as an athlete, even now when I ice my, you know, I ice my, you know, my kid, I start ice with my son at 10, you know, when he, you know, so just making sure we, we, we mm. keep that body healthy. So that's definitely for sure. One thing, uh, you know, yeah, my nutrition, you know, how I ate, you know, um, you know, just some, some flexibility stuff that could have helped younger, uh, the business savvy at a younger age, getting involved with that and having more of a passion about right. that early. Um, you know, but, you know, and, and I think really, to be honest, mm-hmm. those are small things. Mm-hmm. But one of the biggest things that I have, I only have one regret in okay. my entire career. And mm-hmm. that was thinking, and it happened actually in Indiana, okay. where I thought that I had tomorrow to get done what I can do today. Okay. Right. And so, you know, when you're talented, you know, you know, you have a great team, great organization, great fan base, and you're thinking, okay, well, if I don't get it done this year, I can get it next year, right? Right. That's, right? No, you have to conquer the moment when you have it because it is no guarantee in professional sports, whether it's injury, whether it's trades, right. whether it's, you know, whatever it may be. Coaching change is not guaranteed next year. Gotcha. And that's the one thing that I really have a regret about is thinking that I can we'll have a chance of winning a championship every year you know, when I was 23 years old and I was riding high uh, yeah. with, with, with some dogs beside, you know, beside me as well. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing I think about from time to time still. All right, all right. Well, hey, man, we definitely appreciate you taking the time and coming on the Dream Chasers podcast. Parents, kids, take this stuff to heart. Jermaine O'Neal was definitely one of, one of the most decorated NBA players in the game in our modern time that we can remember. So take a lot of this stuff to heart. Hey, y'all, y'all be, y'all be good out there. Y'all take care. We'll talk to you soon.